We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, so open up in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. But I want to begin with a a kind of almost a a comedic, darkly comedic moment in the story of Acts. The book of Acts tells the the story of the the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection all the way on to uh, really the ends of the, almost the ends of the earth of that known world at that time. And in Acts chapter 19, we read this. This is a really interesting story. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, it says Paul, the author of the book of Galatians that we're studying, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? Do you know that there's a Holy Spirit? So many Christians don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. And so many of us live like there is no Holy Spirit, live utterly ignorant of the Spirit, what the Spirit means. Who is the Spirit? What does the Spirit mean? How do you get the Spirit? These are big questions. And what I love about our passage this morning is that they approach the the answer to those questions from a very non-traditional way. They approach it from the the conflict that's happening in Galatia. And it really gives us a unique and different, a much more, I think, a thoroughly biblical and powerful understanding of those questions and who the Spirit is, what the Spirit is doing in our life. So let's get into Galatians chapter 3. And just by way of review, to remember what the issue at Galatia is. The issue of Galatia is who is right and who is wrong, right? Who's doing it right, who's living it right, who's in the right group, and who's doing it wrong, living wrong in the wrong group. It's righteousness versus unrighteousness. How are we justified? How are we made right? Who gets to judge that? Now it is the, uh, the folks that we're calling conflict entrepreneurs, it's their claim, that while Jesus is nice, he's a, he's a big deal, He doesn't change everything. The apostolic claim, Paul's claim, our claim here is that Jesus changes everything. But they would say that Jesus is great, sing songs, that's fine, but don't think that Jesus changes everything. There are some very important categories and boundaries in the social order that we need to honor and we need to fit into if we're going to be doing things right in this world. Specifically, what they're claiming is that Gentiles, now this makes great sense, you have to agree, Gentiles need to become Jews if they're going to enter into the Jewish kingdom and live under the Jewish king. Obviously, right, the Jewish Messiah and the Jewish kingdom, right, he brings the Jewish kingdom, the kingdom that, that all the Jews have been longing for, so any Gentile is more than welcome, but they've got to become Jews. Look down with me at Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. We see what may be one of the core questions of the book of Galatians. Galatians 3, 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Imagine a leather jacket with embroidered on the back, sons of Abraham. You get a little bit of a feel for what uh, Paul has in mind with this phrase. Who are the sons of Abraham? (laughs) Who are the sons of Abraham? This goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 1. 
In Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as, a, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Being the son of Abraham is a big deal. A couple chapters later, when John comes, the story of, of John the Baptist, he comes baptizing. He's baptizing all these people who, who are repenting of their sins because they want to turn away from their sins and be ready to receive the Messiah when he comes. But you know who's not at getting what, right? The Pharisees and their crew are all standing on the shore looking at John and looking at all these uh, you know, poor, benighted fools. And, and John says to them, remember what he says? He says, don't stand there and say to yourselves, we're sons of Abraham. He says, I know what you're thinking. You're standing there saying, we're sons of Abraham. We don't need to do this nonsense. He says, let me tell you something. The axe is laying right there at the foot of the tree and you better get your act together because God doesn't need you. He can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones, kind of pointing back to the, I guess, the numbskulls behind them. Uh, God can raise up sons of Abraham from these folks as well. And Jesus has a couple other, in John, he has a couple other uh, arguments with the Pharisees about, are they sons of Abraham? Who would you say you're a son of or a daughter of? Your mom and dad, right? But they would say, no, 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 we're sons of Abraham. What did that, what did that mean? This was a big deal for them. To be a son of Abraham was to say, first of all, I am a, a physical descendant of Abraham. I'm a Jew. And second of all, it's to say, I'm righteous like Abraham is righteous. This is very important. I'm a descendant of Abraham, and I'm righteous like Abraham. Because there was a lot of descendants of Abraham who were compromisers, who weren't following God. So he says, I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm a Jew, and I'm living right, and therefore, here's the, here's the payout. I'm going to inherit the promise to Abraham. I'm going to inherit the blessings that were promised to Abraham. That's the big deal. Who gets the blessing that was promised to Abraham? The people who are righteous, like Abraham. So the conflict entrepreneurs come into Galatia and they say, uh, sons of Abraham are believing Jews who work the law, and then any Gentiles who become Jews and work the law with us. Which again makes great sense, but notice what Paul says. He says in verse 7, Know then, right? He's trying to emphasize something. Know it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Which is again such a strange thing. All the Jews and all the Gentiles are thinking, How are non Jews going to be sons of Abraham? How are, how are non-Jews going to be sons of Abraham? They're different people. It's a different nation. My, my sister lives in New Zealand. She's lived in New Zealand for uh, the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Uh, she and her family of four now. And it's always interesting to check in with them and to discover, like, they're not celebrating all of our holidays. You know, like, like we celebrate Christmas and stuff and Easter, but like there's a lot of American holidays that the New Zealanders are like, yeah, you Americans need to calm down with your stuff, right? <laughs> but it would be very strange if I checked in with, with my sister and, and heard like uh, New Zealand, which is mostly like British expats, right? That they were celebrating July 4th. You'd be like, oh, that's our, that's an American holiday, that's, why would you guys be celebrating the 4th of July? That's a weird thing. This is kind of how 
this is kind of how the, the sons of Abraham thing in Galatia is working. The Jews are like, how are you going to be a son of Abraham? You're a Gentile. How's this, how is this going to work? And Paul says it works by faith, those of faith. Now, so far we're sort of in familiar territory with what we've studied in Galatians. But look with me at chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. It is an answer to this question, how those of faith can be sons of Abraham. It's an answer to that that Paul raises the subject of the Holy Spirit. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So the big question here is about how did you receive the Spirit? But I would say that the real problem that Paul is dealing with is this. They have the Spirit, but they don't understand what the Spirit means, and they don't understand how they receive the Spirit. They don't understand what the Spirit means, and they don't understand how they receive the Spirit. This is a, this is a, continues to be a problem in the church today. It's a problem outside the church, right? You go to any sort of spiritual, religious community, everybody's focused and bent on how do we get the Spirit of the God? Right? How many mushrooms do we have to ingest? How, how long do we have to lay still in, in starvation before the Spirit of the God descends upon us? This is a fundamental human question, and it is a very important one for Christians as well. What does the Spirit mean? How does the Spirit come into our lives? So let's take these questions in turn. What does the Spirit mean? What is the significance of the Spirit? Now again, I love this because Paul answers this question from a place that we would never even think to look. He answers it with the story of Abraham. So let's look at verse 6. So he's got this question, did you receive the Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit? And he turns right to Abraham, just as, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Gentiles are going to get the blessing by faith. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Skip down with me to verse 14. Paul says then that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. All right, so Abraham was considered righteous, not because he did what was right all the time or, or worked the law, because he lived before the law was even given. But Abraham was declared righteous because he trusted the Word of God. And then because he was righteous... Abraham received the promise. So he heard the word, 
He trusted it, he was declared righteous, and then he received the promise of this blessing. Abraham's descendants were going to inherit the promised blessing. This is the crucial connection. We see this again in in verse 14. The blessing of Abraham will come to the Gentiles so that we Gentiles might receive the promised spirit. The blessing of Abraham is the promised spirit. You see that? The spirit is the promise given to Abraham. So Abraham's blessing revealed over the course of the Old Testament to be just one thing, one blessing. All the blessings, all the promises that God gave from Genesis to to Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament, were all wrapped up in one gift. One gift. And that is the Spirit of God poured into our lives. So, what everybody on the planet is after through all of their discipline, all of their privations, all of their taking illegal substances, all of this, they're after a sense of God. A sense of the presence of God is given to the descendants of Abraham. All of it depends on the one spirit. How many oceans are there? Is no. You know, if you ever look at, I remember looking at a map of the world, and like the water's all kind of connected, right? I mean, it's kind of like there's one ocean, but we just stand on different shores and we call it different names, right? There's there's lots of things that God gives us and promises He's made to us and blessings He gives to us, but all of it is, it's the same water, right? It's all the Spirit being present to us and working in our lives. Everything, everything is all wrapped up and bound up in the Spirit. You'll notice in verse 14, it says, in Christ Jesus, the... It's that singular plural, blessing. Blessings, the blessings, the blessing. Blessing, right? Singular is one thing being given. Okay, so only the sons of Abraham receive the Spirit. Here's what that means, right? If you have the Spirit, you're the sons of Abraham. You're the children of Abraham. You're the descendants of Abraham. Not the Jews. Not the conflict entrepreneurs. Not the people who are dressing like Abraham, right, with the beard and the robe. Those people aren't the ones who are the children of Abraham. But you, Gentiles, you are the children of Abraham. And what you have inherited is the blessing. It's the blessing. There's nothing more. There's nothing beyond. This is it. The Spirit is it. And so Paul's looking at the Galatians like we sometimes look at, you know, have you ever, whether, you know, this happens maybe more with uh, kids, but you you give somebody a gift, you give your kids gifts, right? They, They fill out a list or you give them what you know exactly they want. How long does it last for? before they want something else, right? Like we get all this stuff and then, hey, can we go shopping now? Can we, you know, I want to save up for this thing. And you're like, you, it was a week ago you just got all of this stuff. Well, imagine that you could actually give your kid the, the, the card that allowed him to purchase anything. 
any shoe, however many, any color, any experience, any sporting event, you want to go anywhere, do anything, this will get you in. It is unlimited, absolute, everything card. And then you find them sneaking out to go work at Taco Bell. And you're like, what are you doing? Why are you working at Taco Bell? And they say, I just want to be able to buy what I want. And you're like, you have the whole thing. Why are you trying to get something more? There's nothing more. There's nothing more. So the, the, the Spirit is extremely significant to the issue at Galatia. We are the sons of Abraham, not the Jews. <clears throat> New Zealand celebrating the 4th of July, not America. I mean, this is a huge thing. And the Spirit, Paul says, that's, that's it. That's the blessing. The Spirit is the blessing. How did they receive the blessing? Again, not by being Jewish. But what does Paul say here in verse uh, 2 and 5? He says, do you, do you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Verse 5, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did they receive the Spirit? They received the Spirit by hearing with faith. The Galatian Christians heard the gospel story. Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They heard the story of his death. They, they had it explained to them what that meant. They believed it. God said, good, right. And they were given the Spirit. That's it. They heard, they believed, they were declared righteous, and they were blessed, just like Abraham. They are Abraham's Gentile children, and the Holy Spirit of the God is upon them. Now, what about the law workers? What about the workers of the law? How much of a blessing do they get? Right, they're, they're knocking themselves out, right? So shouldn't they get something? They should get something. There should be a consolation prize. They actually, they get, they get nothing. They get worse than nothing. They get... They get the curse. They get curse. Look at verse 10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified by God before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. What Paul says is that the, the law promised a curse for anyone who can't work it flawlessly, which is everyone. Which sounds like a raw deal, but that was never what the law was designed to do. The law was never designed to make people righteous. That's what, just what human sin and hubris and pride tried to turn it into. Right? You remember that the, the entire law was built around the sacrificial system. The law was built around failure. The law was designed to draw us into a faith relationship with, the, with what God would provide for our forgiveness. Is what the law was designed for. And these people have taken it out of that and said, now it's going to be a way for us to be the Savior of ourselves. So Paul's saying those conflict entrepreneurs who come in here and they look so smart and they're so righteous, they're so pious and holy and all the stuff that they're doing, all they're doing is digging themselves deeper into the curse. And then they're inviting gullible Galatians to join them. Now I want you to remember 
Like when we're talking about the works of the law, the Mosaic law, these are the, this is the best law. Like Google, like, you know, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. Like this law is way better, right? Google, whatever the top 10, 20, 100 thing, whatever it is, you can find any, uh, dozens, hundreds and dozens of these all online in the self-help section back in the 90s when books were a thing. I mean, you can find them all over the place, right? This is the best one. And these guys are working it with, ooh, they're working it so good, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Only the Messiah is righteous before God. Only Messiah is righteous. We are only considered right because we hear about Jesus and then we quit and then we trust him and his word and what he did for us. I think uh, every mechanic shop in America has to have one of these signs. You know these signs? And I love them, you know, because I'm not really a mechanic guy, but it cracks me up. So this is 100% true if I were trying to get involved. But, you know, some of you can handle some of your automotive tasks. But the only way for me to get my car fixed is to trust. The only way that my car is going to get fixed is to trust the mechanic. So if I try to help... I mean, you, you guys know, if people try to help you doing your thing, it prevents the fix from happening. Help prevents the problem being fixed. And so if you reward rather than penalize help, if you reward help, it just decreases the likelihood that there's ever going to be a fix for anybody if you reward people getting in the way. So when Paul says they're getting more of this curse, you know what the curse is? The curse is that the more you try to help, the less gets fixed. And what happens when the less gets fixed? What do you want to do? You want to try to help more. And so less gets fixed. And so you try to help more. And so less gets fixed until you finally kind of come to an end of your psychological capacity and you say, you know what? I think it is fixed. It is fixed, but I'm just going to walk. It's fixed. So you, tell, you start to tell yourself lies or you just quit. Like no cars can be fixed. Cars can't be fixed. This is, right? So, or, or you just give in to despair. Verse 13, Paul says that Christ redeemed us from this curse. He became a curse for us. He entered fully and completely into failure, fully and completely into futility, fully and completely into the foolishness of sin. He took that curse for us. So that verse 14, in Christ in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the promise of the Spirit might come to us Gentiles through faith. Jesus did it all. The Spirit delivers it all. We get it all. We have it all. Jesus did it all. The Spirit delivers it all. And we have it all. The Spirit is the promised blessing and only faith in Jesus receives the Spirit. Now, Paul is speaking this message to kind of two groups in Galatia, two sort of, uh, two groups of Christians here. Look with me in verses 2 and 3. So verse 2 is, is referring to sort of people with one sort of set of concerns. Let me ask you Gentile Galatian Christians this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
That's one group. The second group is, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This speaks to kind of two temptations that, that we struggle with. The first is that we want to do more to ensure our status before God. Right? You know, is this, there's this interesting dynamic as you, you know your sins and you put your faith in Jesus and you come to God. And then the more you get to understand who God is and what Jesus did for you, the more you feel badly about your sins. And so then there comes a moment where what are you going to do then? You're going to turn to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. Or are you going to turn to yourself and say, well, I should do something. At least let me pick up the tip, right? Like I should do something. I just don't feel good about myself if I'm just the, the schlub who's there like, you know, so David, what did you do today? Like nothing, just hung out with Jesus and God's like, oh, okay, why don't you get a job too? You know, you should do some stuff. That's how I feel about it. But God's like, no, that's great. Isn't he great? Isn't Jesus great? I wish more people would hang out with Jesus. So we want to do things to ensure our status before God. Or there's people that want to do, you feel like you want to do more things to get more blessings. You look around at various conflict entrepreneurs or just people who seem to have their act together and you think, what did they do to get there? Well, there could be a wide variety of things to fill in the blank there, but you think, well, they got more blessings from God. What, what do I need to do to get more blessings from God? I'm going to work smarter. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try to figure out the right things to do, the right boxes to check before the God, and maybe I'll get some extra stuff. Paul says there's a couple things you don't understand. Right? The spirit that you have is the sign that you're right with God. Boom, done. The spirit you have is the sign. And the second thing you need to understand is that the spirit that you have is the blessing. The spirit is all there is from God. Right? If you, if you, in the, in the blessing chest of, you know, in God's basement or attic or whatever, like you, you dig through it, the Spirit is, there's nothing else, there's nothing more that God could give us that's better than His own Spirit. There's no greater power for us than the Spirit. Jesus did it all. The Spirit delivers it all. We get it all. There's nothing more to do. There's nothing more to get. We, we, we talk a lot about how Jesus did it all, there's nothing more to do. I want you to understand what Paul's saying here is yes, and the Spirit delivers all that to us and we have it and there's nothing more to get. So what, what, do, we do, what do we do with this? Uh, Paul would say, believe what you've heard. Believe what you've heard even here in our passage. Everything is yours, right? Everything is ours. It's just not being properly enjoyed. I think what Paul wants the Galatians to do, what, he, what the Spirit wants us to do, is to allow the good news of the Holy Spirit. So there's the good news of Jesus and all that he's done, and there's the good news of the Spirit, who the Spirit is, and that the Spirit is in our life, to let the good news of the Spirit address our life, our situations, the directions that we're going. You know, I think Paul's looking at the Galatian church and he says the real problem is you don't understand what you have in the Spirit or how you got the Spirit. 
And something similar, I think, is for us. That the real problem is Christians who have the Spirit of God, but who live without reference to the Spirit. Right, that's, I fall into that all the time. Which is why I think you should all be preachers, because you remember this, you have to, you have to remember this stuff. Uh, how many times do we live without reference to the Spirit? And so we go on and we try to borrow dreams that don't belong to God. We try to accomplish them with energy that's not His. And we just get more curse. You know, I was thinking about this. Whoever heard of human beings who are given privileges and position and power and they don't use it? You know, like, I'm riding in my wife's van for months and I'm like, we've got heated seats. <laughs> So you know what's happening as soon as that thing starts every time I drive in it now, right? Like, who, what person anywhere, right? You get the promotion, you get the best office, all the nicest swag, and you're down in Starbucks at a table with, like, rings from previous people on it. Like, how are you not, like, you would never do that. You'd be all spread out in there laying on your couch and looking out the window and doing your work. Or imagine... Imagine if the tables are flipped, how you would think about like, you know, you're somehow you're, you're in some sort of situation where there's a line of people to meet you, right? Or a line of people to get your autograph, you're signing books or whatever. And your kids out there in line because they want to ask you something. You'd be like, what are you doing? You're my kid. Just come here. They can all wait. You come to me. Who, right, whoever heard of people with power and privilege and, and this kind of position not taking advantage of it, and yet that's the normal for us. We have the Spirit of the God in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit. Allow the good news of the Spirit to address your situation and to give you direction. You know, to believe in the Spirit's work in our lives is to let ourselves be calmed when we're anxious. To let the words of God, let the Spirit take them and bring us calm. Let the Spirit bring the words of God in and give us hope when we're discouraged. Let the Spirit bring the Word of God and make us willing when we're exhausted. Help us to do right when we've been mistreated. Help us to try again when we think we've given up. And and to let the Spirit bring us into every other good thing. Remember where the book of Galatians is going is to establish in, in this, this little spot in the uh, Asia Minor this new creation thing. Right? The Spirit of God is, is here for your problems and here for our situations and, and here to give us direction in our lives. But the Spirit of God is at work in all of us to bring us into this beautiful new creation community. There's so much more for us. Which is why Paul is, is emphasizing this point here. You understand what the Spirit of God means for you? You understand how the Spirit of God comes into our life? Verse 5, let's look at this as we close. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What Paul is saying here is that the Spirit... The Spirit's presence, the Spirit's power in our life is accessed, it is supplied to us when we hear the truth of the gospel. When we hear the truths of who Jesus is and, and what he did and what that means for us and we believe it. 
And part of what Jesus did for us is give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus has done it all. The Spirit delivers it, and we have it. You know, what Paul wants the Galatians to understand, what he wants us to understand this morning is that whatever work, quote-unquote work, remains for us is the work of a family at the beach. You know, when you go to the beach, you should do something. What should you do? You should behold and enjoy, which is another way to say, hear the word and believe it. Behold it and enjoy it. You may say, maybe that's not no work, but I don't know if you can call it work. Behold and enjoy. We have the Spirit of God. We have this blessing. Hear it this morning. Believe it. And let that be enough for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word and for the wonderful things that you reveal to us in it. I think sometimes we, we hold off on thinking too much about the Holy Spirit and what it means for our identity as your children, as the heirs of the entire Bible, what it means for our lives as those who have the blessing promised in Scripture, given to us in the presence of God, the Spirit. These are such big things, Lord. They're, they're life-changing things. And, and so it makes sense to a certain extent why we would shy away from thinking about them too much. And yet you are here drawing us into them. Drawing us into them. Calling us to appreciate them and to let them into our life. So again, Father, we pray that you would pour out your love to us. Pour out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom you have given us. And let this good news, let this word dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.